And this is View of the Valley's podcast. This is episode 12 with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing well today. Uh, enjoyed the week off last week. My wife and I celebrated our 22nd anniversary over the weekend. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. She tells me I've been happily married for 22 years, so I guess I go along with that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of gearing up. I think next week will be a big week. Obviously, a lot of you know your traditional K-12 through schools are going back in session in one format or another. And uh, at my high school, I was fortunate enough to be on the committee, and I can just tell people it's there's no good answer right now. It'd be like telling you to pick who is the best uh, St. Louis Rams coach, not named Vermeil or Martz. <laughs> and you'd be like, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way it is. Yeah. Like every, every plan, and I understand people's reservations about it, and it's just one of those tough things. And I think even maybe more from our perspective about our show, as you start thinking about students are going back to school, where are the numbers going to happen? I know uh, Jackson County, where Southern Illinois University Carbondale is, was put on uh, the watch list because they've seen an uptick in numbers. So it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the fall here going forward. But, uh, you know, other than that, I've been living life. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, actually, just got back from Nashville, went down there for a bachelor party. We had stayed in an Airbnb. Now, there was talk that we were going to cancel the trip because of everything that's going on. Gotcha. Uh, turns out that the Airbnb uh, company that we went through was only going to give half your money back, and the other half was going to be credit. Well, you know, there was supposed to be 12 to 13 of us going, one ended up not going. And so we ended up going. But let me tell you, it was not Nashville. We, like, couldn't go anywhere without a mask. And they said that all the bars that had restaurants that or all the bars that had food would be open. Mm-hmm. You had to have a mask on whenever you went in. Not true. Um, if they were, then every every place that had food must have been closed because we only went into two places and uh, we had to have our masks on every time we went right. to our seat, went to the bathroom, whatever the case may be. So we sat at one place for, you know, I think three hours. But other than that, we were at the Airbnb the whole weekend. Yeah, you and could have done that at home. Well, yeah, and we had thought about that. Um, they were talking about, well, why don't we just get an, use that credit, get an Airbnb in like the St. Louis area or something mm-hmm. and just go there for the weekend. So, yeah. But it wasn't bad. Well, it probably saved you some money. Oh, <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> what do you planned on spending in the money that you spend after you're like, when did I spend all this money? Well, yeah. You know, you, one of our buddies, uh, Jacob Winnebauer, he's like, you know, I started to look at see how much i spent I'm like wow i have spent like anything yeah, that, when you wake up in the morning you look in your wallet to do an inventory check you're like oh gosh yeah you see like a credit card or so. oh yeah i have one buddy he's like he's notorious for over tipping and one year on our trip he's like he was gonna tip this girl i'm like dude you realize how much you're tipping I'm like i can tip her however much i want I'm like okay that's fine <laughs> The next day, you know, we're on, we're traveling back home. He pulls out the receipts. Like, oh my gosh, why did I tip her so much? Like, we tried stopping you, but we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, you <laughs> like, gave up on that. You're, you're on your own. You're on your own. I mean, I, you know, that's that's on you now. But, but. Uh, yeah, I, Nashville's also gotten to the point where it seems like, and I'm getting to be an old man, so I know this is part of that coming out. There are so many groups like that: bachelor, bachelorette parties, and you know, engagement parties. And, yep. Then you run into the woo girls, as I call them. Like they're just coming out of bars, like woo. 
doing? Like, what do you? I mean, I've just I've gotten too old for that stuff. You know, yeah. You know, and I, I know my lane. I know where it is. It's just that's not that's not my idea anymore. I, I love Nashville too. So yeah, it's fun. Um, other than that, though, um, I guess I'm doing well because a lot of the sports are back in action. Uh-huh. Um, hockey's a full go right now. NBA. MLB minus, you know, the Cardinals and Marlins who were at a standstill for about a week. Right. Um, and having said that, I'd really like to go sit at a sports book over Labor Day and, and watch all the games. Right. Whether If I have to have a mask on, so be it. I yeah. will sit there. Yeah. Well, I found out yesterday that the Indy 500, which I'd planned on going, attending with my father, they're down to 25% capacity. And we were... The, had two of our four seats, but we were going to be in the same spot, so we had plenty of space. And it was one of those things that was back and forth. But did I want to go? You know, not sure. Putting myself in that situation. And then yesterday, we got the email and a couple texts from some friends and a former student about, yeah, hey, there are no fans. And I, I might have been a, might as well have been a child. You know, like you see, that's like I'm a terrible parent because you know you see the kid. Well, he's crying because I'm not letting him go swim, and he can't swim. You know, that's the way I feel right now. Like, as the day went on, I was just like, oh, man, more and more. I just wanted to go. So me and some guys I know that, like, watching the Indy 500, we thought about just, like, pulling our trucks up into my yard and tailgating like we're right there in Speedway, Indiana. (laughs) Maybe I'll get a porta potty (laughs) Like, there you go, guys. (laughs) We're there. If it it wasn't going to be August 23rd, you know, we're in St. Louis, it might be 118 degrees in the shade. You know, the humidity, you just, like, look outside and start sweating because it's so bad. Yeah, it's bad. But it's just, it's different times and you know they're kind of race into this vaccine and you hear people like well, i don't know if i want to take a vaccine that they're rushing to which i understand that but you know probably the most relatable tweet i saw in the last week or so is the phrase when this is all over is getting to have the same meaning as when i win the lottery <laughs> like, it just seems so pie in the sky right now and i just yeah. really hope that you know we find some way to, to live with this it's just sooner than later i feel like we're talking about this covid stuff every week every time we get on so i'll, I'll stop now. <laughs> like, yeah but <clears throat> with that during today's episode we will get into uh some of the latest news in the ovc and mvc from the last two weeks since we were off this past week also we will do our mount rushmore on creighton and tennessee tech and also a segment on kind of this revamped March Madness that uh, kind of stumbled across here uh, in the last couple of days. Um, we'll actually do that before the Mount Rushmore. But to get things started off, TJ, uh, I guess a quick uh, quick note. I think you had said that uh, the Division Three and Division Twos had uh, canceled their fall sports. Right. They they had the, the NCAA Board of Governors meeting yesterday. And they kind of decided to let the respective divisions decide what they were going to do. Division two, division three said, hey, we're canceling all fall championships. And my understanding of FCS right now is that they're going to pull the conferences who's going to keep playing. And if 50 percent of I think there are 13 conferences in FCS. And if they're going to keep playing, if more than they'll have the championship. Well, one of those is the Ivy League. Mm-hmm. They don't participate in the championship. Correct. So now you're down to 12. So I think it's like five of the 12 may have already said that they're going to cancel. So Southern Conference, they have some teams, I think, that want to continue to play and things like that. I just, and I'm not an NCAA hater. I will say, I think everybody just wants them to make a decision. This feels like 
a continual loop of, hey, dad, can I do this? Go ask your mom. <laughs> yeah. Go ask your father. Go ask yeah. your mom. And you're like, hey, well, well, we'll decide Friday. Like, well, the thing is Saturday morning. Yep. You know, and you guys are going to wait until that. So it's, it's frustration, and I understand it. But it's and it's not even just that. It's 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 the whole the whole ordeal because if if five out of the twelve you know aren't going to play, well, you know, then that takes into effect some of the non conference schedules. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're seeing that already affected from the Power Five schools, like the SEC is no longer playing against their non conference, which affects a lot of those mid-major mid, or the FCS schools with SEMO being one. SEMO was supposed to make 450000 off that Ole Miss game. Mm-hmm. So that's out. SEMO was supposed to play Dayton. That game's out. So if your other schools, SEMO, for example, they're already down two non-conference, but you look at other schools in the OVC or MVC, they can run into that same boat. And if now if you have other FCS conferences that are just saying, hey, no, we're not going to do it, uh, you're your ability to find a non-conference game from the FCS level is starting to get slimmer. Right. And it's tough. Right. And maybe, you know, and it's just me spitballing here and seeing some other uh, speculation. Maybe if those schools, you know, like I know Missouri State's supposed to play Oklahoma and get a big check from there, maybe that's the game they can hold on to. Well, Because because the Big 12 went nine conference games and one non-con. Well, maybe that's yep. the game they pick up that they keep. You know, Missouri State gets to keep that check, but then maybe they play their real schedule, the real FCS in the spring. And, you know, I saw somewhere, I apologize to the person who's, who said this, but that would be able to put that in front of a lot of eyes then. There's no NFL, there's no uh, NCAA, you know, FBS. And we can see that the good players are there at that that level, you know. And I know that, that this the Great Lakes Valley Conference, which is the D2 conference in our area, has already had planned to go to the spring anyway. Sure. So, you know. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, uh, there'll just be something that's like set in stone here, you know, so everybody knows what kind of to expect, yeah. you know. Yeah, and maybe hopefully the NFL is watching Major League Baseball and trying to figure this out, how they can do it. I mean, I've heard numbers for the NBA and the NHL for their bubble. They've spent a, a billion dollars. A billion with a B. That's, I know that's the number they gave for the NBA and the radio report I heard wow. was they thought it was close to a billion dollars. Well, did you not see what the Denver Broncos have been doing? They're spraying their guys. Spray- it was like sanitizer before they walk. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if how much that's going to help once you put your helmet on and now you're... Right. But, hey, they're trying everything. Yeah, I did see, uh, I think, Wyatt Wheeler... Um, that we've had on the show, he retweeted a picture that North Dakota State had put these uh, the fabric masks. So they're behind the football team. They're behind the actual the grill part of the mask, and they kind of span from the ear to ear, so they can just put it on easily. They're not constantly putting it on. And they said yeah. in the in the article or in the tweet, uh, why it said that Missouri State had ordered them, and I believe it was uh, a writer from the the Southern Illinois, Todd Hefferman. And he said that SIU Carbondale had ordered them as well. So, I mean, they're they're trying to do everything they can to mm-hmm. you know make it as safe as possible, but still be able to yeah, you give know, the players the and chance. I, and I know players and everyone involved with the team at schools are signing waivers, you know, saying oh. hey, you can't be socializing with people you don't know and things like that. See, it's just, that's where it's going to be tough for mm-hmm. especially in college. Yeah, you know if. 
you know, it's college, you know, but whether you're a student athlete or not, you know, somewhere along the line, something's probably going to, yeah. whether it's behind closed doors or, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be weird. Yeah. And tough. even now, you know, for your generation and this generation that's going to college now, there's no behind closed doors. Well, th- yeah. You know, if, 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 if it's there, it's on social if, media. Too. If coach calls you in and says, Hey, were you at this party doing such and such? You got two choices. <laughs> Tell the truth. Because <laughs> he probably and t- already and knows. Licks, yep. Or have him pull out the evidence. Like, well, here's what I saw. You know, and it's just, you know, it's just one of those things that it's not Big Brother that's always watching. Yep. It's it's somebody is going to get it caught on media. And that's something that you have to just, you know, teach in high schoolers. That's, hey, guys, this is out there forever. You know, and is it Derek Jeter that has the no phones rule in his house? Uh, that I'm not sure I about. I think it's Derek Jeter. But and who's the guy you've never heard the slightest bit of conspiracy about or the, you know, controversy? Oh, Derek Jeter. Yeah, never had <laughs> you know, sense. Like, so I've heard that. If it's if it's just folklore, it's good folklore. <laughs> hey, what have you heard bad about Derek Jeter? Yeah, that's because he's done this. So. <laughs> but uh, with that, we'll get into the OVC and MVC here. Uh, last on our last episode, we had discussed uh, Belmont's player Adam Kunkel, who was transferring, and he had a lot of schools up in the air about which kind of Power Five schools that he was pro- possibly going to transfer to, and looks like he has found a spot and committed to Xavier. So that's a big get for Xavier. Um, they're getting a very good player from Belmont. Um, Kunkel will fit fit in nicely with Xavier. Now I'm sure he's probably gonna have to sit out a year, um, but whenever he get, he's eligible, I mean he's gonna be a a playmaker right away. Yeah, you know, and it's I think that their league is a step up. You know, I think that's. But again, is he the big dog like he was at Belmont? You know, maybe that's what he wants to prove to or prove that he can play against that caliber of athlete. That's true. You know, then we, you know, we've seen our fair share of athletes come out of the OVC. You know, we talked about that. Everyone that we've talked to has been associated with the OVC stuff. But like, you know, we had some cats that could play. Yeah. You know, so uh, who knows? You know, there's so many things that have to go into that decision for that kid. You know, it's it's a tough spot to put a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid in. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's tough enough to make a college decision when you don't have people clamoring and telling you what to do that – you know, are, are invested in you for different reasons. So, yeah. Best of luck to him, though. I hope hope he does well there. Yeah, time will tell. Uh, also, and just saw this today on Twitter via uh, Jeff Goodman, uh, Brandon Huffman, the North Carolina Tar Heel transfer that was going to Jacksonville State. Uh, I guess his waiver was accepted, so he's going to be eligible to play this year. And that's kind of a tricky tricky area i know we had talked about him one of our first episodes when we were talking about transfers but when you have a transfer that goes from you know d1 to d1 typically they have to sit out a year Mm -hmm. you know that you know sit one and then play but that for whatever reason they did grant him that you know be able to play i have a feeling they're going to be more liberal with those especially in these times as we're getting closer to the time you know with everything going on with covid uh on the big I don't know where I was going there. On the MVC side, I think it was a foregone conclusion. But for the folks at Northern Iowa, it's good to have the news that A.J. Green did officially withdraw from the NBA draft. That happened July 29th, I think is what I'm seeing. Uh, 
I think that puts them at ease. And, you know, the rest of the conference is kind of frustrated that the player of the year is coming back again. He's got two years left. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to, to see how Coach Jacobson has the guys playing this year, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's that'll be big for him to come back. And, I mean, that will also help set the tone for, I mean, quite frankly, the rest of the team. Yeah. You know, if he's back with his, you know, athletic ability, it's only going to help. You know those returning players and even those young, you know, young freshmen trying to make their, you know, make their mark. Yeah. I wonder how many of the coaches, the other nine coaches in the in the valley, will be saying just their best defensive player. You think that's going to work against AJ Green? Uh, you can guard this guy that way, but is that going to work? Are you going to be able to get by with that? Because <laughs> he'll stick it in your eye from thirty-five feet. <laughs> you know. So coaches, we love to do that. Like, yeah, talk about worst case scenario. <laughs> analyze it overanalyze it and you know Uh yeah you're right yep and try to politely tell don't don't pass it don't do these things in this situation and here's the only time you can and (laughs) and then everything will work out fine yep yep um but with that uh i stumbled across this it's called march madness uh i i'm gonna call it the revamp march madness but it's a Cal Sports report. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it's, it's affiliated with Sports Illustrated. But the author, Jeff Ferrado, apologize if I uh, pronounce his name incorrectly, but he's kind of got a weird, or I don't say weird, a different unique. take. Unique. Yeah. We're yeah. Both unique. A unique take on March Madness for this coming year. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on it, TJ. Um, I have mixed emotions about it. I was kind of trying to dissect his article uh, earlier today and yesterday, but he basically is saying instead of like 68 teams, make it 128. Now, obviously, this is kind of like a rough draft. It's all based off of last year, and he is basically saying you take the RPIs from last year, which – well, for example, the Missouri Valley was, I believe, number 11. Right. And the Ohio Valley had one of their worst years in a while for RPI. It was 29. And so obviously just based off of last year. So he had Missouri Valley getting six teams and the OVC getting just two. But again, it's based off of last year. But the main point is uh, he was more or less saying that some eliminate some of these lower conference tournaments and then you know you basically can pick which you know which teams get in off of the rpi but if you do have that conference tournament well then it's up to the conference to basically say if you're going to get in or if you get multiple teams in right um but really it was broken down into four different regionals and i love the names of the regions (laughs) The John Wooden Regional, the Fog Allen Regional, the Dean Smith Regional, and the John Thompson Regional. But so how he kind of basically has it broken down, it's based off of, I think, was it, there's 16 conferences, I believe, if I looked at it correctly, for the lower half. conferences into two tiers. Into two tiers. Well, the lower 16 conferences, I think it was each got between like four and two teams in. If I looked, <clears throat> if I looked at it correctly, um, 
But the one spot he did he did mention, and you know, you had talked about before the show, and I agree with you. He said any Power Five conference that finishes with a, a seed in their conference seventh or lo- lower does not get in. Right, love it. And and to me, that's how it should be. Yeah, I think that's everybody. If you get seventh place team, it's not getting in. Yeah, you know. So uh, I love that idea. I just, you know, we've talked about it before. You can finagle your non-conference schedule that you're going to play mostly home games and then go sub-500 in your conference play. They also said if you're under 500 for the season, you're not getting in. They're going to replace you with the next highest net. You know, that, that, what, so that makes sense. They put it all together. Who's the team with the highest net? Now, what happens if the team with that next highest net is a seventh-place team? I don't know. Or do they go to, you know – like an Ohio Valley and go, all right, your third place team, Austin P is the next best net. You haven't met the seventh place quota yet or the seventh sure. place limit. Um, I like the idea. Boy, I'd hate to see the MVC loser conference tournament. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it said, if, it said in here too, he goes, if they feel like they can financially benefit, then that's up to them to do it. Yeah. But we obviously know there are money losers out there too. Um, I had the opportunity to go to the American uh, tournament finals two years ago so it would have been the 2019 season and had they not been in memphis you know for when memphis played the semifinal so we saw the two semifinal games in the final game it was it was crickets for the championship Uh between cincinnati and houston i mean there were whole rows left by themselves well and and that was in memphis correct yeah because they were doing tournament sites i think they're based solely now in is it frisco texas where they have all the championships well so they kind of went neutral too but well you look at it i mean you know from a traveling standpoint how many people from houston are going to travel to memphis Mm -hmm. i mean yeah the players parents will be there and you know some of the big boosters and stuff but a lot of the students going to show up right and that's kind of what i love about the MVC tournament being in St. Louis, as you see that crowd start to build up. Thursday, obviously, yeah. you, have, you have your pick of the litter. Friday is always my favorite day. But by Saturday, you know, because they're starting, okay, we're playing a little bit later, you know, and ki- almost all the campuses are in a, a decent drive. Uh, probably Northern Iowa or Drake is the longest drive. But the others, they can even wait till Sunday because the championship's usually at two something. Like, hey, let's get up, let's get. It's got down to St. Louis and Illinois State. You know, the years that they've played in the championship game have brought a great crowd. Oh, yeah. You know, and so especially I think if you get those state schools, because they traditionally have a, a larger student body population and by proxy alumni group, they're the ones that really start to get there. So if you get Northern Iowa, Southern Illinois, Missouri State, Illinois State, that those schools really start to start bringing some bodies well and i was talking to uh some of the some of the fans when we were there i don't know if it was last year or the year before but we were grouped right next to the illinois state faithful mm-hmm. and i was kind of talking to them because they asked well so who do you want to win and i said be quite frank i could care less i'm I, i'm here because i i like college basketball and i made some sports bets and that's who i want to win is who i bet on right Quite frankly, that game, I was hoping for the under. Right. Um, But I was asking them, I said, so do you guys come down every year? And they're like, yeah, we do. Um, I said, what is like your favorite thing, you know, to do down here? And they said, well, 
not really to do, but to go to. Um, they said they've really enjoyed going to Ballpark Village since it, mm-hmm. it opened. And it, that's got to be a big attraction for, you know, any any fan base coming in, especially for that tournament. Because, right. um, you know, whether your session, your two games for each session has, has expired for that day, and you still want to watch it and, you know, have some adult beverages, you go to Ballpark Village and you can watch it on that big screen there. Right. So I mean, it's a big attraction for that. Yeah, uh, it definitely has helped. I mean, you know, and the owners, the Cardinal owners, have done a great job with it. You know, I think everybody in St. Louis is kind of irritated by the slow pace of it. But having a little bit of insider knowledge is every time they thought they were close, all of a sudden some new permit was needed or some new regulation yep. was needed and stuff like that. So uh, that's kind of the frustration that came with that. But now that those apartments are going up there and things like that, and Depending on the weather, it's not too bad of a walk. Like I said, I oh. usually park down there, but there's sometimes and it's that first weekend of March and that wind is howling. Oh, it's it's like all right. I don't even, I don't even want a, a drink right now. <laughs> Give me a hot cocoa. <laughs> Give me a cup of coffee. Yeah, bar three sixty rooftop. Probably not a great spot to go during that. <laughs> uh, but before we move on, I do want to clarify. Uh, back to the article, the teams that he had projected that would get in would be the two tier conferences broken down 16 and 16 if you were in the upper tier each conference would get six teams if you were in the lower tier of the 16 each conference would get two teams so you your your conference either getting six your conference getting two in this case the missouri valley would get six the ovc would get two based off of that rpi i love it southern illinois was in there so Let's put it in play right now. (laughs) Okay, we're we're moving on. (laughs) I do say, do want to say, I don't know if I mentioned this before. One thing, maybe we can get Doug Elgin on and make the suggestion. When the SEC tournament was in St. Louis, the first night was fifteen dollar general admission. I wish they would do that for the Valley tournament. So if you bought all all session pass, the first one only cost you fifteen bucks. You got to sit wherever you wanted, which. I think for those of you that have been to Arch Madness, you know it's it's probably time for that because they basically do it anyway. But right, save me yeah. a little bit of money on the front end. I really like that idea that it was general admission that first day. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to think of what I paid for because I mean I'm, I'm not, I wasn't like you who had the you know the full thing, but I went. I think it was that Saturday or we went mm-hmm. for the two games. But I mean, just two games. It's you know it can be pricey. Yeah, especially yeah. if you have no interest in. Yep. You know, some of them games going on, but yep. um, we we all have an interest now since, you know, podcast. But, yep. <laughs> but moving on, we'll get into our Mount Rushmore segment here. Uh, TJ has Creighton, and I have Tennessee Tech. TJ, I'll let you get it started off here with your first one from Creighton. Well, you know, the kind of the crutch I've lived on is uh, – Retired numbers. Creighton only has four retired numbers, and I only have two of those guys on here. Oh. So I'm going to start out with a little trivia for you. Which St. Louis Cardinal great baseball player, yes, I know, was the first African American to play basketball at Creighton? Oh, my goodness. Uh, can I get like a. Can I have a lifeline here? Um, can I get like a time frame? Yeah, time frame. 1960s is when he played for the Cardinals. 
and he played basketball at Creighton. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the four that has his number retired, but he won't be on my list today. I was shocked when I learned this. I think I knew that he played baseball there, but I don't know that didn't know the magnitude of his impact. Well, I'll be honest with you. Um, I was unfamiliar that a Cardinal played baseball at Creighton. Basketball? Oh, yeah. play baseball at all? It, no. That, did he play baseball at Creighton, too? He played or just, both, yep. He yeah. got drafted in both. One of two Creighton people that I know of that got drafted in both baseball and basketball. Think of the most obvious African-Americans to play for the Cardinals in the 1960s. I don't know any that would have played basketball. I'm telling you, even if you just take basketball out of it, just like 1960s Cardinals, African-Americans, who do you think of? There's probably got to be two. Um, Bob Gibson? Yep, Bob Gibson. Played basketball at Creighton? Mm-hmm. You're, you're kidding me. Nope. Graduated the third leading scorer in school history. And said from the article I read... Well, have I, I been living under a rock... I don't know that I knew he played basketball there, but he his number 45 is retired. And uh article that came out about 10 years ago by Tom Nemitz runs a uh, website called White and Blue Review about Creighton University. Uh, wrote They did an article where they did every number, like who is the greatest to wear each number. So Gibson was obviously number 45, and he said he really didn't play – he didn't pitch very often. Well, I mean, had you not said – well. Which guys come to mind? Well, I mean, I there's no way I would have guessed right. Bob Gibson. I yeah, because I, I think when you think '60s Cardinals, it's Lou Brock and, and Bob Gibson. That's yeah. who you think of. Yeah. So, but he had even written a letter to Indiana University, Indiana University. Make sure I get this one right. And wanted to play there, and they responded, said, "No, we have our quota of of black players." And they even talked about when they uh, at Creighton, they were going to because they still did freshman ball. Back then, that they were the two teams were going to play a doubleheader in Oklahoma City, and the coach told Bob, he said, "Hey, you're you can't stay at the same hotel as us. We're in the South here." And he goes, "I was 18 years old." He goes, "It's probably the last time I remember crying." And wow. uh, he said, in the quote that I saw, said that you know one of the teammates said, "Hey, I'll stay with you." He goes, "If coach would have known how much fun we had, he would have been pretty upset with us." <laughs> <laughs> so. But yeah, I mean, I was pretty impressed <clears throat> to learn that, that that he uh, made that list and one of four basketball players at Creighton. So uh, my first one, I think, is probably his number is not retired. I think it's just a matter of time, given his level of uh, accomplishments at both the uh, at, at, at Creighton. Doug McDermott was there from 2011, 2014. Now his last year, they were in the Big East. And uh, so uh, he's not going to be part of one of my trivia questions later on, but scored 3,150 points. So he's first all-time. He's third in rebounding, had over 1,000 rebounds in his career. Led the entire nation scoring his senior season and was the consensus national player of the year that year in 2014. So like, if you were national player of the year, the Naismith Award, the Wooden Award, all of AP, they all went to him. Three-time consensus first-team All-American. When he was in the MVC, he was a two-time Larry Bird winner and two-time MVC tournament MOP. He's in the Creighton Hall of Fame. He was 11th pick with the Nuggets, but he was traded to Chicago right away. 
and he's still with the Pacers, who are his fifth NBA team. So still, you know, I was just watching him play yesterday in the bubble, and they were playing, I think it was Orlando they played yesterday. Man, I tell you what, he's got a smooth shot. Yeah, Dougie McBuckets. That is one name I'll never forget going through high school, college. Mm-hmm. People say Dougie McBuckets. Like, what is a what is an NBA nickname or college basketball nickname? What's the first one that comes to mind? Like, oh, Dougie McBuckets. Yeah, I mean that's that's up there on a couple couple lists. Now, a good friend of mine, one of my close friends, his wife was on the dance team at SIU Carbondale and hates Doug McDermott with a passion of a thousand sons. Just like you, you bring it up. Like I, I have a shirt from Creighton and I, I sent a picture. Like, you take that off right now. Like I, I can't even talk to you. <laughs> so of course I just bring it up more and more often. Oh well, yeah. Might as well. <laughs> so that was my first one. I think that was pretty uh, easy to come up with, but he was definitely a fun guy to watch. And Oh, it was. And you wonder if Dana Altman hadn't left Creighton to go to Oregon, I believe it was. Yeah. Does he go to Northern Iowa instead? Well, that's because his dad was the coach good, there. That's a good. Uh, that's a good thought. Yeah, and who so, know, and if he goes there, who knows what happens to Northern Iowa then? Yeah, Northern Iowa and Creighton. You know, uh, I think it's an, an interesting case study. Maybe it's just me, but when you think about Creighton leaving the conference and then Wichita State, which will be my next Mount Rushmore, I feel like there's a different attitude how both teams left the conference I feel like there was an attitude of Creighton had this opportunity that that fell upon them and then it felt like Wichita State kind of shot themselves around like hey who wants to take us and then when they got to go and I'm not saying the people at university or coach Marshall did this but maybe the fans like hey we're leaving we're you know watch us walk out the door and it's kind of like you know maybe it's just me maybe sitting too close to Wichita State fans all those years that they were good at the MVC tournament yeah. yeah, well, not to get off topic, but this will be a conversation for another day, but let it be known, I'm still confused right now as to what's going on at Wichita State and why all the players have transferred mm-hmm. under Coach Greg Marshall after having so many successful seasons. Right, and a storied program. I mean, it's not yep. just the last 10 years. I mean, there's some guys that have come out of there. Yep, Chris, that, yeah. you know. Chris is still confused, but you know, maybe I'll know at some point. Uh, so who do you have on your least list? First on my list for Tennessee Tech is Earl Wise, played at Tennessee Tech from 1986 to 1990. Uh, he's their career leader in points with over 2,000, scored 2,196, fourth in career rebounds with 845, also had 282 career assists, Started 111 out of 113 games as a Golden Eagle. Now, that's pretty consistent. You know, you're in the lineup that that often. That means right away you came in as a freshman and you were expected big things. And he did just that. I mean, you you come in as a freshman, you start all 27, you know, 30 games, however many Mm -hmm. it was, and everything's expected of you to do this and that. And then when you walk away from your career – you're the leader in points still in, you know, 2020. I think you did your job. Yeah. And and that's what Wise did. So that's why he's number one. Number two, another guy that's still active. Um, again, number's not retired. I do think it's a matter of time. He's had quite the uh, extensive NBA career. The, the Blue Jays were really good when he was there. Is Kyle Korver. He was there from 1999 to 2003. 
He is sixth in points with 1,800 points. Still first in three-pointers with 371 made, and he shot 45% from three-point range for his career. It's pretty damn good. I mean, I think as a coach, you hope that a guy shoots 33% because you think that's the same as shooting 50%. And we can get into the arguments about, (laughs) like, well, you're not drawing fouls and stuff like that. But if a kid's shooting 45% from three-point range, especially with his size, and then shot 89% at the free-throw line. Well, it's like if he's shooting 45%, it's like every time he shoots, like, okay, this is going in. Right. It gets to the point where you're surprised if it doesn't go in. You know, uh, two-time Larry Bird winner, MVC, 50 greatest, MVC Hall of Famer. They had 99 wins and four trips to the NCAA tournament in his career at Creighton. Now, what year was he there again? 99 to 03. 99 to 03. So, Creighton Hall of Famer and... Second round draft pick by the Nets, but his rights were sold to the 76ers almost right away. So the from what I was able to pick up, the Nets were having some financial trouble, and that might have been right after they went to the NBA Finals with Allen Iverson in 03. So none of their targets were there, and so they pick him late in the second round. I think it's like the 51st pick, and they sell his rights to the to the Nets. Excuse me, the Nets were the ones. So that wouldn't have been Allen Iverson year. I screwed this up completely. So the Nets just had their run. The Sixers pay for the pick or pay for the rights. So they they pick Corver, sell his rights to the 76ers. The Sixers give them $125,000. Trying to get this right. Give them $125,000. And the Nets, one of the things that they did with the money is that they bought a copier. Like bought a, a a copying machine, so it's been said that Corver was traded for a photocopier. Now there were plenty of other things they did with sure. the money. So yeah, I apologize. I had that backwards. It went from the his rights went from the Nets to the Sixers. Traded so, for a copier. Huh? So uh, 2015 All Star, and he's still with the Bucks. They're they're his sixth team. He he's had a nice career. Yeah, he I has. Mean, I, I think plenty of guys that have played the game, even at a high college level, would yeah, I I take that role. But I mean, man, I mean, he's he's been in the he's been in the league seventeen, sixteen years. Yeah, I mean, I'll double check, but holy cow, it doesn't. It feels like he was just at Creighton not too long ago. Yeah. Wow. Time flies. While you're looking that yeah, up, was, yep. No, you got it. Set, drafted in two thousand three. Son of a gun. Yep. So he was drafted by the Nets and immediately traded. His rights were traded to the Sixers. So I apologize for that. Man, seventeen-year career. That is a. That's yeah. a. But I mean, he's got that. He's got that job. Hey, we need some shots yep. here, Kyle. Just Get in there. and shoot a three. You know what? You know what's happening when he gets off the bench. Yeah. But boop. why'd you miss it, Coach? I was cold. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> This is the 16th minute of the game. I haven't been in. That's, if you ever go to any NBA games, I feel like it happens more when you're watching them live than when I watch them on TV. That all of a sudden you're like, who are these guys? Like Kyle Corver's out there. Like guys that, that I mean, and it's every quarter. Like all of a sudden they'll cycle those guys out. And the thing that's really impressive, I was reminded of this yesterday watching some games in the bubble, is those guys are such good athletes that they don't look like they're working very hard. But then they slow down, and you see them like shooting free throws, and they're sweating like crazy. Like you got to be putting in some work. Those guys oh, are in yeah. shape, and they're sweating like crazy. It's just I think that that's a testament to their athleticism. 
I, sure. I remember watching Brad Beal play in high school, and he just seemed like he was so much smoother than everybody else. He was on a different level. It just like it seemed effortless to him, and I'm sure he was working his tail off. You know, he dropped 44 points the first time I watched him play in high school. It's like, oh, oh yeah, here we go. Like, he kind of slowed it down, and bang, he was probably in, there in, in, the, in a blitz. So, yep, Kyle Korver, that's my number two. Number two on my list, uh, Kevin Murphy played at Tennessee Tech from 2008 to 2012. Second in career points with 2,109, 535 rebounds, and 252 assists also in his career. Seventh highest three-point field goal percentage in a single season. Shot 41.6 from deep during the 2011-2012 campaign. Top 10 in career three-pointers made with 191. And he was drafted in the NBA draft by the Utah Jazz during 2012 now he was drafted by the jazz um but since then he's had a lot of playing time overseas and the majority of the teams he's been on i'm not gonna try and even pronounce the team name because i will be incorrect i can guarantee it i will take a chance on one the zhang lions uh, that's as close as I'm going to get. Yeah, that so was, he's, he's seen a lot of the world. That was 2015. Um, he's currently playing in the Bahrain League at, right now. Um, I, didn't even, I wasn't even aware Bahrain had a league. I, I may have I mean, also I, pronounced that incorrectly, too. Bahrain, I usually say. Just. Um, but he champion in 2019. He was also the finals MVP of the league as well. Um, two-time first-team All-OVC during the 2011-2012 season. Uh, OVC All-Newcomer team during the 2009 year. And some of the teams he has been on after being drafted by the Jazz uh, was the NBA D-League. During the 2014 season, he was first-team All-NBA D-League. Um, I mean, he's got a lot of career highlights and awards. Um, I mean, he very good player Tennessee Tech who is still having a nice career uh currently overseas yeah that's like we've said nothing wrong with that getting paid to see the world and making good money different things yep beats having a a regular job (laughs) yeah you know uh my next one this is surprising i didn't know this guy went there but uh well known for his nba career but paul silas played at creighton from 1961 to 1964 now he's ninth in points 1661 first in rebounds with 1,751. So he had almost 100 more rebounds than he did points in his career at Creighton. Wow. He is one of, at the time, when this, whenever the article was that I, I picked up on this, and I think it may still hold, he was one of five players in NCAA to average more than 20 points a game and 20 boards a game for his career. That's impressive. So... The people taking this into account are a few, a, few, a few names you may have heard of. Julius Irving. Okay. Bill Russell. Artis Gilmore. And Kermit Washington. Now, Kermit Washington is probably more notoriously known in NBA circles that uh, back in, I think it was in the 70s, Rudy Tomjanovich. Have you ever seen the, the punch that Rudy Tomjanovich took because the NBA used to be known for kind of like fighting borderline sure. like hockey okay. is. But 
there was a fight and Rudy Tomjanovich, who was, you know, Hall of Fame, I think he's a Hall of Fame coach for the Rockets when they won their two NBA titles, comes running out there and Rudy was known as uh, a peacemaker. And he came running out there and Kermit Washington said, he goes, I just saw some, someone come out of the corner of my eye. He turns, he cold cocks him, breaks bones in Rudy's face. I think he missed an entire season because of that. Wow. And so, but it was a heck of a player, but unfortunately that's what he becomes known for. So to be known in that circle. Well, that's is, a heck is, of a group of yeah, names. Yeah. Um, Creighton Hall of Famer, retired number. They weren't in the Valley when he was playing. So he's known as an institutional great, kind of like, and Bob Gibson was the same way that they weren't uh, a member then. He was the 10th overall pick by the then St. Louis Hawks, played 16 NBA seasons, wins three titles two with the Celtics, one with the Seattle Supersonics, and finished with over 10,000 points and 10,000 rebounds in his career and had an extensive coaching career, most notably coaching the Charlotte Hornets, then became the New Orleans Hornets, and then went back and was coaching the Charlotte Bobcats as well. That's where I remember, uh, recognize his name most often from his coaching career. Uh, but yeah, 20 points a game and 21 boards per that's game for three seasons. Not a lot of that's people. A, that's can a good week. That. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Uh, third on my list, Stephen Kite, 1982 to 1986. Third in career points with 1,806. Top five in career rebounds with 844. Started all 113 games of his career. OVC Player of the Year during the 84-85 season. Also three-time first-team All-Ohio Valley Conference. He was on. He was the NIT All-Star Team, uh, 84-85. AP All-American during the 85-86 season. And his is one of the, I think there's four numbers retired at Tennessee Tech. But his is one of them. Number 23 is retired. So it's quite a, I mean... Like you said, four guys, and he's one of he's them. He's one of them. You know, even even the other two guys I had before, their number's not retired. Yeah. My last guy is Bob Harstad. I hope I'm saying that right, Bob. Played from 87 to 91. He's third in scoring, 2,000 points. Second in rebounds with 1,100 in school history. And that's important because he's one of four MVC players to ever have 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds. Uh Dougie McBuckets does not qualify because he only had 1,800 points in his MVC career. He had another 1,300 when they went to uh, the Big East. Sure. So the other three guys that have done 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds in their Valley career, Larry Bird, Xavier McDaniel, and Oscar Robertson. Again, really great company. Three-time first-team all-conference, the 1990 Larry Bird winner, 1991, he wins the conference most outstanding player or for the tournament. Uh, in his time there, his sophomore and senior year, they went to the NCAA tournament, went to the NIT his junior year. His numbers retired and all the same accolades, Creighton Hall of Fame, MVC Hall of Fame, MVC's 50 greatest. Wow. So That's, I just like you said, another great group of guys. And it, that's a... It's a pretty good top four you got there. For yeah, the Mount and, and wasn't there, like Harstad wasn't there in a down time. It's not like some guys that, well, he scored 3,000 points because they weren't very good and he was the only guy doing it. No, they went. No, they were good. They went They went to the tournament twice in the NIT that third time. You know, so I think, you know, sometimes numbers 
can be deceiving. Sure. But in this case, I think you know you were pretty accomplished, and you were the you were the dude. See, it, it's just like uh, it's just like baseball. You know, um, some fans will be quick to judge and be like, "Oh, this guy's just great. His his win loss record was sixteen and six. I mean, ten games above five hundred. Well, yeah. Well, let's check out his ERA. He had an ERA of five point seven. That means he had a hell of a lot of run support while he was giving up runs left and right. Yeah, I think the equivalent in football are rushing touchdowns. Yes. You know, team gets the ball, you know, <laughs> 60, 70, 80 yards down the field. Now we're first and goal. Well, now we're going to give it to our guy three times. And, you know, and I, I don't want to shortchange him, but I think we need to take into account, like, how far were they getting per carry? Like, you know, Jerry Rice gets tackled to one yard line and then they hand it off to Roger Craig, you yep. know, which that's a really old reference for you, going back to 80s, 90s football. Sure. But... But the idea is the, the same, you know. And I, on some level, I kind of feel that way about block shots. Now, I think block shots are bigger when you get into the college and the NBA because you have the shot clock. Yep. But high school, like, oh, he blocked that many shots. Like, well, how many balls are those that they keep? <laughs> now, there's a difference. I can go out with, as uh, your guards get out there, get up in people's face, and if you get beat, hey, we got we got the big guy to clean it up for you. And there's differences that way too. And there's the intimidation factor. But when you're just like, oh, he plays great defense because he had X number of blocked shots. Like, well, I think you need to take that into account. And again, take that with a grain of salt. Now, I got a final thought segment here once we wrap up this segment. And I want you to remind me about it when okay. we get to it. Okay. Because there's a good chance I will forget. Okay. So just what your final thought segment is? Yeah. Okay. Uh, fourth on my list at Tennessee Tech to round it out, Van Usher. Yes, Van Usher. Played there 1989 to 1992. He was, he's barely in their top 30 in career points. Number 28, scored 1,103. Having said that, some of you are probably like, oh, what about the other 25 that you didn't mention that were in front of him? How's the number 28 guy on there? Career leader in assists was 690. Career leader in steals with 280. Started 84 of 85 games. Wow. So, just to be healthy that long is impressive. Well, the the kicker here is he did all this in a three-year stretch. He didn't even I play I was going to say with only 85 games. He did not play four years at Tennessee Tech. So by playing three years, he still put up over 1,100 points, leads the school in assists and steals for a career. He was also first-team All-OVC during the 91-92 year, All-OVC freshman team the year before, NABC All-District Team twice, and during the 1990-91 season, he led the NCAA Division I in steals per game with 3.71, and then also led the NCAA in assists during the 1992 campaign. So it sounds like he had other jobs and happened to score a little bit too. Yes. Still, 1,100 points in 84 or 85 games. There's nothing to be ashamed of. No, and that's why I felt like he was deserving to be on the list because I mean, I had to shuffle through some guys to find. I mean, there were a lot of guys ahead of him that, you know, yeah, they they put up a lot more points, may have been high up on the rebounding list, but if you only played three years and you lead the school in two categories and right. you're part of the 1,000-point club, I think you're deserving of a spot. Yeah. And that's something else to take into consideration, too. Some of these schools might have guys that are more well-known, maybe not the schools we're talking about, 
but you get into the the ACC schools and stuff like that. Like, well, yeah, so and so played there. Like, where's that point out? Like, yeah, he was there for a year. Yeah, like, that's kind of hard to hang your hat on, so to speak. Sure. That, you know, we understand why they go for a year, and I don't blame them for going for a year. But you know, you think of going back. Duke, it felt like Christian Leitner was there forever. Like, you know, like he's there again. Like, didn't he graduate? Like, that's that's the kind of guys I think of when you have those really good guys. That's like, uh, was it Perry uh, Perry Ellis for Kansas? Was might have been. I think uh, I'll have to look that up here. Um, I mean, NBC fans, we feel that way about Cameron Crutwig. Oh yeah, I believe that like he's he's just now finally a senior because he was a stud, you know, for the last three years for him, and I think we're gonna feel that way about AJ Green. Even this year. Yes, definitely Perry Ellis. That guy seemed like he was at Kansas for 10 years. Like mm-hmm. every time Kansas was on TV, like six, seven years, I just felt like I kept hearing Perry Ellis here. Perry Ellis at the shop. Perry Ellis here. It's like, didn't this guy graduate by now? Yeah. He's getting a second graduate degree. Yeah, I'm sure you ask some Mizzou <laughs> fans about him and be like, oh, Perry Ellis. Ugh. But uh, with that, uh, you got any final thoughts here, TJ? Nope, just the same as always. Hope everyone's staying safe, and uh, hopefully we'll get back to having some guests next week, see if we can get some things lined up. I'm supposed to remind you, what's the big thing you had for your Ah, second closer? Really not a big thing, but um, you kind of touched on this throughout the show um, at one point and just kind of wanted to get your take on it. So you being a – or have been a high school basketball coach. Uh Uh-huh. What is your take on the shot clock with no shot clock being in high school? And before you answer, okay. um, last year was at a high school game, um, varsity game, and this is kind of why I felt like maybe there should be a discussion about it. The, the team held the ball before halftime for literally three straight minutes. Mm-hmm. And then, or maybe it was the fourth quarter. Either or, it was a close game. I think it may have, been, may have been the fourth quarter. They had the ball for like three or four minutes and did nothing. They just, guy had the ball, just stood, stood at half court. And then maybe like 45 seconds later, he'd make one pass. Then they passed right back. Then he just hold the ball. And just like took the momentum out of the, of the other team. But the defense let him do that too. That is true. They did not... I'll give you my answer after this. Okay. Did you know? So we both said movie Hoosiers, top basketball movie of all time for us. When they really played the state championship game, during the third quarter, Bobby Plump, who Jimmy Chitwood's character is based on, stood at half court, at half court in the same fashion you're talking about with a ball on his hip the whole quarter. Yeah, that's and his coach that's said true. I had he goes, I knew I had a bunch of seniors and I just knew that if we could keep it close, we'd be okay. So my perspective, high school shot clock, I am against it. Okay. I I don't necessarily take the perspective that I've seen people say that well cost and finding someone, you know, qualified to do that because you know, you've been around high school sports enough that sure. find someone to run the regular clock well <laughs> is a nightmare. And I've worked some college games where they've had trouble with the shot clock and it it, it it again can be disruptive to the game. 
I don't, you know, that'll work itself out. I think the one thing that I, I often hear is it'll produce better basketball. Well, sometimes what happens is that the team holds on to the ball for, and we'll go college, for 25 seconds and then throws up a terrible shot at the end of the shot clock. Yeah. Is that better basketball? No, not really. The other thing is, is that the high school is different from college and NBA, and I don't get to, to choose who I have. You know, I, I spoke to Coach Dave Luce, who used to be Austin P forever when I was coaching, and he says, you got to play what mama sent to school. <laughs> you know, so that'd be like, to me, yeah, you have to give me some way to be competitive. Sure. It'd be, is it any different if I said, well, you can't play anyone taller than my tallest player? Because that's not fair. <laughs> well, I have good guards. You have good post play. You, you're fast. I'm not, you know, all these things come into play. It's not great. It's not a whole lot of fun. But if I can teach five kids, if you come out and get me, like, hey, we're going to make you, you know, to defend me. And I understand standing there and with my ball in the hips, not fun for anybody except for, you know, the parents that want to get out of there quick because yeah. the clock's going to roll. Exactly. But you just have that idea of I had to find a way to win. And if I can hold on to the hold on to the ball, and if I have three good guards, and you have to chase me around, then that's on you. You know, I I, I understand people want to be entertained, but I just I, I don't see how it improves competition. The other thing that I will say on the pro side of it is it can make it so that there's a lot more runs. Yeah. I've noticed in the college game. That hey, just because you're up 15 points, which in a high school game, if you're up 15 points in the last quarter, you're in pretty good shape. College, if you're in, up 15 points with 10 minutes to go, so the equivalent of the last fourth of the game, you're not necessarily yeah. out of the woods because you're going to have to keep playing. Yep. You know, so there's that perspective too. But again, like I said, coach gets to go out, gets to pick guys that fit his his methodology. You know, if he doesn't get a big man, that's on him. If he doesn't have guys that can guard, that's on him. <clears throat> But at you know, some schools that you just don't have that 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 luxury. Yeah, so that, that's a good point. All right, I just wanted to pick your brain on, get your, uh, get your thoughts on it. Yep. And this will wrap up episode twelve here on View of the Valleys for TJ Hoover. I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as Coach Billy Kennedy, former coach at Murray State and Texas A and M joins the show to talk Murray State hoops and his time at the university. We'll also do our Mount Rushmore and our final Mount Rushmore for Wichita State and UT Martin. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at Pod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.